0: Hey, so uh, again, good morning. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff. Y'all know what this is? Anybody who's ever worked a job outside? Of course, Gator, you work inside, but in attics. It's a sweat rag, y'all. That's what you call a sweat rag. so we should have provided sweat rags, I guess, for everybody. But um, so we are, uh, this is fun. Even though it's humid, it's not terribly hot, but it surely is humid. But we're doing one service today, 10 o'clock, like, like you know. We're, we're moved, For the summer, we're going to move to, we're going to set all the chairs back up inside the church. We're going to have one service at 10 o'clock for the summertime. Now, one thing that that does, though, <clears throat> is that creates a, a bigger need, and the need exists anyway, but it creates a bigger need for, for folks to serve and volunteer in the kids' area and in the tots' area. And so I want—I just, we because if we don't do that and we have the same people serving every Sunday, they're going to spend the entire summer without going to a worship service. And y'all, that ain't fair. It's just not fair. And so I would say this, and we've conveyed this over the years, but we just have never really kind of beat on it a little bit. But if you've got a, a child that is in the Tots ministry or in the kids ministry, we expect you to pour into them into those kids and serve at least one time a month. What we're talking about is the next generation of Christ followers. We're talking about the next generation of leaders in our country. We're talking about the next generation of leaders in the kingdom. They deserve to be poured into. They deserve to be discipled. And if you're a parent of one of them, we expect that you would serve in there at least one time a month. Um, And so I hope that, that, that if you're watching and you're not here today, or if you're here today, that the, that the Lord would convict you a little bit if you're not serving in tots or kids to jump in and serve at a minimum one time a month, and it'll all it'll all work out just fine. So, jump into the message. Um, I feel like I'm preaching in a jungle. But... <laughs> you can hear though, can't you? Yeah, yeah. You don't really have to see me as long as you can hear. Um, so look, let's say that you go to uh, to an appliance store. And you're looking for a refrigerator. And you're like, I see the one I want. It's like this $10,000 refrigerator. Serious business. Amazing features this refrigerator has. And like, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. They're going to deliver that refrigerator to my house in a a few hours. And so I leave the appliance store and I head home to to get delivery of this refrigerator. Well, on the way home, I stop by Publix and I buy all kind of stuff uh, so that I can load it up, you know, when I get home or when they deliver it. About an hour later the delivery dudes pull up and they bring in my fancy new super fancy new uh new refrigerator they put that refrigerator in place and i load it down with all the all the goodies all the stuff that i bought at, at Publix, and i'm feeling really good about it it's a kicking ten thousand dollar incredible refrigerator well, when i go to sleep when i wake up the next day i go to the refrigerator for breakfast i notice something that's gut-wrenching right the milk is sour. The ice cream is kind of run all down from the freezer onto the floor and the and the and the vegetables are turning that color. You ever open up the vegetable drawer and you got a, a zucchini or something that's like kind of mushy and discolored, the vegetables are, are getting all jacked up. It's obvious this thing don't work. So like my 10000 dollars investment was apparently for nothing, and now I'm I'm kinda of ticked. I grab my phone and I call the place and I'm going to give this place a piece of my Christian mind. Get the salesperson up on the phone and I'm like, dude, I gave you 10 grand for this piece of junk refrigerator that don't work. It just, it don't work. And he apologizes to me, profusely apologizes and says, hey, do me a favor. Go to the refrigerator, get down on your knees and listen at the bottom and see if you hear the hum of the motor. And so I do that. And- I don't hear no hum. I say, no, I don't hear a hum. He says, pull the freezer drawer open, see if the light turns on. And I pull the freezer drawer open, see if the light comes on, but the light don't come on. And he says, you know what? There's a cord in the back of the refrigerator. Look behind the refrigerator, see if the cord is either plugged in or not plugged in. And so now I'm getting annoyed. And I go to the back, and lo and behold, reckon what I see, I see a plug that's not plugged in. And so I get back on the phone with him, and I'm like, No, it it wasn't plugged in, but for $10,000, it shouldn't have to be. For $10,000, the thing ought to work on general principle. (laughs) Now listen to this. Here it comes. The sales guy explains to me that this expensive, amazingly valuable, beautifully crafted, beautifully designed piece of equipment, that it can't be all that it's supposed to be, and it can't do Everything that it is supposed to do without power, it's got all the parts and they're perfectly crafted and they're perfectly created and they're perfectly precious and they're valuable and they're expensive, but they can't do what they're designed to do unless they're plugged in and connected to power. Without a power source, it's nothing. If me and you are not plugged into the power source, the Ruach HaKodesh, the, the Holy Spirit, when we got nothing, y'all, the light don't come on. Now, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon isolated individuals and small groups of people only on special occasions and only in a temporary way to help those people or that person accomplish a specific task that the Lord had given them to do, that the Lord had for them to do. You see it in Exodus 31, you see it in Judges 14, you see it in 1 Samuel chapter 15 or 16. So we're in the book of Acts, and it's been about a a week and a half since Jesus' ascension to the Father. If y'all remember, we talked about him before their very eyes just floating up and being hidden in the clouds. So it's been about a week and a half since that happened, and his folks were gathered together uh, in Jerusalem for Pentecost, 120 of them, um, of his folks. The time had finally come for the fulfillment of His promise to send His Spirit completely and permanently upon all believers. I think you got a bullet point in your uh, in your worship guide, I don't have one up here. But it says this, this first bullet point, this is going to lay over what we're talking about today. This incredible outpouring of God provided the supernatural power for believers to take the life-changing message of the gospel everywhere to the ends of the earth uh acts 1 8 says to jerusalem yehuda judea samaria and to the ends of the earth this day this pentecost day is the day that christ made good on his promise to send the helper the comforter the holy spirit who would take up permanent residence in those who bend the knee and put their saving faith in him this was the day and like what a day that day was God's individualized, y'all hear this now, God's individualized pouring out of his spirit into the lives of these 120 believers who were up in that, in that place resulted, his pouring his spirit into them, it resulted in the effective pouring out of his story, and we're going to see this in a week or two, of, of, of his pouring out of his story and changing the lives of 3,000 people that day. We'll see that in probably a couple of weeks. So today we're pushing ahead through this walk through the book of Acts, starting a new series today uh, called Birth, Acts chapter 2. The series is called Birth, and you'll see why it's called Birth. A little bit today, but you'll see it over the next several weeks. So I want you to look at the first three and a half verses. you got them in your worship guide. And if you don't have a worship guide, please raise your hand uh, because there is a lot of scripture today. If you don't have one, raise your hand, and, and we'll get one to you. So it starts off in verse 1 of chapter 2. Luke writes, the festival of Shavuot, or Pentecost. The festival of Pentecost arrived and the believers all gathered together in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from the sky like the roar of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they saw what looked like tongues of fire which separated and came to rest on each one of them. They were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The festival of Shavuot is Pentecost. So first of all, it is super significant that it is Pentecost if we understand what Pentecost is. Pentecost was celebrated about 50 days after Passover. If you back up seven weeks from, from this event, we call it Passion Week. It was Passover Week. It was Passover Week. And so now we're 50. The, the crucifixion, the resurrection, that was the culmination of Passover Week. And so now... We're 50 days from Passover. This day, Pentecost, also known as the Day of First Fruits, and we'll know why why that in a minute, and it's also called the Feast of Weeks. So Pentecost was a massive, huge day in the lives of the Jews. It was a day of celebration. It was a day when the people uh, praised God, when the people were, were were thankful, expressed their thanksgiving to Him. In particular, they, they expressed this thanksgiving, y'all, for three days particular reasons. Number one, this day, this Pentecost, was celebrated when the first fruits of the harvest began to come in. It's usually around the beginning of June. Pentecost actually opened up the harvest season. So we see this thankfulness to God for opening up the harvest. Number two, they were to thank him at Pentecost at Shavuot for being delivered from slavery in Egypt. For being freed from hundreds of years of oppression from hundreds of years of being shackled in slavery they were to thank god for that and then number three they were to thank the lord for his law for the law that he gave them on mount sinai this was the day at mount sinai when this this people when god created this people and and made them into the nation the great nation of israel they were to live as god's very own people on earth he said to them you be my people I'm gonna be your God I'm gonna be your God and you be my people they were to thank him for his rules for his law for the principles that he'd given them to to govern their lives and to govern their nation now I want you to look at how these three with the coming of the Holy Spirit how those three things are fulfilled by the coming of the Holy Spirit so number one we're talking about the harvest they're thanking God for the harvest so when Shavuot when Pentecost arrived The first fruits were born. What are the first fruits? The church, y'all, is the first fruits, and the first harvest of souls. We're going to see in a few weeks, three thousand people are saved at Pentecost, and so that's a that's a first fruit to celebrate, is it not? So it's a new beginning. It's a new beginning for them. This filling of the Holy Spirit that began fifty days after Jesus' death and resurrection. Number one. Number two when they're th- being thankful for being freed from slavery, the coming of the Holy Spirit fulfills that because He has a very specific purpose. The Holy Spirit is to live and to work in the lives of, of believers inside of our hearts, to free us from the bondage and from the slavery of this world, from to free us from sin and from death and from hell. The Holy Spirit came to set me and you truly free. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he said, when the Spirit of Adonai And Adonai is the Lord. So when the Spirit of the Lord comes, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit is living, then there is freedom. Number two, number three is this. In their thankfulness to the Lord for the law that he gave them at Mount Sinai, and we look at the coming of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit fulfills that, The Holy Spirit brings a freshness to the law. Y'all, Jesus didn't say to throw the law off in the woods. He said He came to fulfill the law. So the coming of the Holy Spirit brings a freshness, a newness to the rules and to the principles of God. Man is now to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Man is now to be guided by the Spirit. Not guided by the law, but guided by the Spirit. The Spirit that lives inside of Him. The Spirit who empowers. When, When the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, he gives us a freshness and an empowerment to live and to act right. Look at Jeremiah chapter thirty-one, starting in starting in verse thirty-one and going through thirty-four. Jeremiah writes this about seven or eight hundred years before Christ. He says, "Here the days are coming," says I deny the Lord, "when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Yehuda, Judah. It ain't gonna be like the covenant that I made." He probably didn't say it ain't gonna be like. He said it will not be like. The covenant I made with their fathers, this new covenant. It's not going to be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand and brought uh, and brought them out of the the land of Egypt, because they, for their part, violated my covenant. Even though I, the Lord, says I, for my part, was a husband to them. Says I, the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Says I, deny the Lord. I will put my Torah within them within them. I will put my law within them. I will put my rules and my principles inside of them. he says. he says, I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will any of them teach his fellow community member or his brother to know I deny the Lord. For all will know me from the least of them to the greatest because I will forgive their wickednesses and remember their sins no more. He says, I will remember their sins no more because I will write my law, my Torah inside of them. So they're gathered together in in this room, these 120 folks, and then suddenly they hear this sound or this noise like the roar of a violent wind. It doesn't mean there was a wind, but the sound was like a wind. The sound was like a hurricane. The sound was like a tornado. And the wind is a great analogy for the spirit, for the Ruach HaKodesh Ruach means wind or breath or spirit and HaKodesh means holy So the the, the wind is a great analogy because with a wind the effects of a wind Are seen but the wind itself is not seen With wind wind can be found in never-ending supply everywhere just like the Holy Spirit You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can surely see the effects of the Holy Spirit and Jews for hundreds of years had believed that the wind of God's spirit would proceed and announce the coming of Messiah. Now, I also see a connection here in, in Acts 2, 1-4, through 4, a super connection with Ezekiel. The sound of the wind in Acts 2, and the sound of dry bones rattling in Ezekiel 37. If you were here at the beginning today, you heard the worship team lead us in, in the song, Rattle. I want to read you this, it's a pretty long passage in Ezekiel, But I want you to think about the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 and this that's written by Ezekiel hundreds of years earlier. Ezekiel writes this. He says, With the hand of Adonai the Lord upon me, Adonai carried me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones. And he had me pass by all around them. There were so many bones lying in the valley and they were so dry. He asked me, human being, can these bones live? And I answered, Adonai Elohim, which is the Lord God. Adonai Elohim. Lord God, only you know that. And then he said to me, He, the Lord, said to Ezekiel, Prophesy over these bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear what Adonai the Lord has to say. To these bones, Adonai Elohim says, I will make breath enter you and you will live. You will live. I will make breath enter you and you will live. I will attach ligaments to you, make flesh grow on you, cover you with skin, and put a breath in you. You will live, and you will know that I am Adonai, the Lord. So Ezekiel says, so I prophesied as ordered. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. It was the bones coming together, each bone in its proper place. As I, Ezekiel, watched, ligaments grew on them. Flesh appeared and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. They were just bones, y'all, and they were ligaments. There was no breath in them. And next he said to me, next he, the Lord said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy human beings, say to the breath, that Adonai Elohim, the Lord God says, come from the four winds, breathe, breathe on these slain, so they can live. So I prophesied his order, and the breath came into them, and they were alive. The breath came into them, and they were alive. They stood up on their feet, a huge army. Then, the, then he said to me, Human being, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And they were saying, Our bones have dried up, our hope is gone, and we are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy, say to them that Adonai Elohim, the Lord God says, My people, I will open your graves and make you get up out of your graves. And I will bring you into the, ha- into the land of Israel. And then you will know that I am Adonai. You will know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves and made you get up out of your graves, my people verse 14. I will put my spirit in you and you will be alive. The reverse of that is true. You're dead without the spirit in you. Y'all get what Ezekiel is saying? I will put my spirit in you and you will be alive. And then I will place you in your own land and you will know that I, Adonai the Lord, have spoken and that I have done it, says Adonai the Lord. So he says in verse 14 i will put my spirit in you so the disciples had been deliberately preparing for the coming of the holy spirit and throughout the bible the revelation of the spirit it's been step by step it's been progressive throughout the entire scriptures prophecy shows us this in joel chapter 2 joel writes after this i will pour out my spirit on all humanity john the baptist in acts 1 5 I'm, I'm immersing you in water but he will immerse you in the Ruach HaKodesh, in the Holy Spirit, and in fire. Jesus said the same thing. During his ministry, Jesus taught that men were to receive the Holy Spirit by prayer. In this upper room, Passion Week, in the upper room, Jesus identified the Holy Spirit as a person in John chapter 14. He outlined the work of the Spirit with both Jews and Gentiles, both Jews and Gentiles, Unbelievers and believers, in John 16, he revealed that he was praying to the Father, Jesus praying to the Father for the Comforter to come and to abide with his disciples in John 14. After his resurrection from the dead, Jesus appears to his disciples in the upper room, and there he symbolically, in John chapter 20, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. But he insisted that they not begin their, their ministry until they experienced the the Spirit actually coming on them with power. Now here we are, ten days after the ascension, after His ascension, and after much prayer, the Holy Spirit comes upon and fills this whole body of believers at Pentecost. Y'all, there's two events of the Holy Spirit's coming that hold super significant historical significance. These two events... Super, very, very special to the church. For both Jewish believers and for Gentile believers. Both are baptized by the Holy Spirit. That is, placed into the body of Christ, His church. The first experience is this one at Pentecost. Acts 2.4 says that that they were filled with with the Ruach HaKodesh, with the Holy Spirit. That was to fulfill a prophecy in Joel. That was to fulfill prophecies by John and prophecies by Jesus Himself. The Spirit baptized. The Spirit immersed the believers with His own presence. That's that first event. The second event is in Acts chapter 10, which we'll get to in a few months. But Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 44, it's at Cornelius' house. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit fell. It says the Holy Spirit was poured out. It said the Holy Spirit was received by Gentile believers. Who was at Pentecost? Those were Jews because they were there for, for the Passover. They were there for Shephuah. Those were Jews. Cornelius' house in Acts 10, those were Gentiles, and Peter said to the Jews that came with him at Cornelius' house, he said, they, the Gentiles, have received the Ruach HaKodesh just like we did. In Acts 11, Peter reported that event from Cornelius' house. Peter reported that event to the church in Jerusalem, and he said, I'd hardly begun, he's, he's given them a witness to it, he said, I'd hardly begun talking when, when the Ruach HaKodesh fell on them, when the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us at the beginning. And I remembered what the Lord had said, that John used to immerse people in water, but you will be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Peter used that same experience, y'all, at, at Cornelius' house to support Paul when Paul's on trial before the great Jerusalem council. And Peter said this, he said, God, who knows the heart, bore them witness by giving the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to them, the Gentiles, just like he did uh, to us. That is, he made no distinction between them and us, but he cleansed their heart by trust, by faith, by belief. All three of those instances, this idea is conveyed that that event was just like their own experience at Pentecost. It's almost like Jesus, uh, like Peter, is pointing to this second Pentecost, this Gentile Pentecost, or at a minimum, uh, Peter's pointing to, to an extension of what happened in Acts chapter 2 that includes Gentiles. Now, I want you to note two other things. At Pentecost, and people fuss about the words that are used in, uh, about the Holy Spirit filled, received, baptized. At Pentecost, that account uses the word filled, not baptized or immersed. At Cornelius' house, the account says that the Holy Spirit fell, was poured out, was received. But when Peter reports that to the Jerusalem church, he also uses the word baptized or immersed. He said the Gentile believers were baptized with the Holy Spirit, just like we were at the beginning. So this clearly says to us, y'all, that Although the word baptized is not used in the Pentecost experience, that the disciples were baptized or immersed with the Spirit at Pentecost. The words filled, the words poured, the the words baptized, the the words fell upon. All All of those words are all used interchangeably to describe the Spirit's presence coming into the life of a believer. Don't get all wrapped up around which word is used. Just give your life to Christ, and whether the Holy Spirit is poured into you, is immersed into you, if you receive him, if he comes upon you, if you're immersed in him, or if he's baptized, if you're baptized in the Spirit, those words are used interchangeably in the book of Acts. They're used interchangeably all over the New Testament. Don't get all fanatical about the, about those words. If we would heed that, if believers would heed what I just said, it would eliminate a lot of arguments about little little bits of terminology. In Acts, other than these these two events, there's only four other times in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit came upon believers. Kepha, y'all remember who Kepha is? Kepha's Peter. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter four. The Samaritans who were half Jews, half Gentiles, the Bible says they received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter eight. In Acts 19, the disciples of John the Baptist experienced the Spirit, the Bible says, coming upon them. In Acts 19, same thing. Now look, there's one other fact I think that is important. Well, let me tell you this, Acts chapter 9, when Paul gets saved, radical salvation, the Bible says that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Other than Pentecost and Cornelius' house, the word baptized is used in connection with the Holy Spirit one time in the rest of the New Testament. And it is a verse, a little passage in Second Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's all about unity. That's all about unity in the body of Christ. So let me tell you what that verse says. It says, for it was by one spirit that we were all immersed into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given one, the one spirit to drink. This is, that's, a, that's, that's a unifying verse that we are all one, that the body of Christ is one. In other words, this Holy Spirit takes all believers and baptizes, immerses, places, and positions them into the body of Christ, into His church. What what, what does all of that mean for me and you today? Well, here's what that means. Y'all listen to this. When a man or a woman grabs a hold of the gospel, And believes and I mean really repents and believes the Holy Spirit enters his or her life call it what you want call it immersed call it baptized call it he came upon you call it he was poured into you call it whatever you want when somebody grabs a hold of the gospel and repents and believes the Holy Spirit enters their life the Holy Spirit comes upon them He falls on them. He pours Himself into them. He immerses Himself into the life of the believer. That is a personal experience. You as an individual experience that. You feel that. You experience the coming of the Holy Spirit into your life. The believer receives the Spirit experientially. In other words, the believer experiences you as as a human being you experience receiving the Holy Spirit, number one. Number two, when a man or a woman grabs a hold of the gospel, and I mean, again, I mean really grabs a hold of the gospel, I mean repents and believes. You cannot remove repentance from the equation. You cannot. Churches all over America want to remove repentance from it. They want it just to feel good. I just want you to feel good. I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you do feel good, but repentance is a part of that. It's a, it's part one. You, there has to be repentance. So when somebody grabs a hold of the gospel, they repent and they believe. The Holy Spirit takes him or her and baptizes or immerses him or her and places him or her into the body of Christ. Positionally, you are placed into the body. You are placed into his church. You don't feel that. You don't experience that. That's a judicial act by God Himself that takes place in heaven. You don't feel that, but it happens. And you know what? It's irrevocable. When He places you into the body, it is an irrevocable placement into the body of Christ. It's a once and for all act. It happens one time. You grab hold of the Gospel. You repent you believe. And I mean really repent and believe. You feel the Holy Spirit coming inside of you and God places you into the body, it is an eternal position. It is an eternal sonship. The believer becomes a member of the body of Christ, a member of God's church, positionally. The third thing it means is that you and I, when we're saved, we are to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. That filling of the Holy Spirit it's not just a—it's not—it doesn't just happen one time and then you don't feel it anymore. The Bible tells us to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 says don't get drunk with wine. Don't get drunk with wine because it makes you lose control. Instead, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, instead he says keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. What happens when you keep on being filled with the Spirit? You sing songs and you sing hymns and spiritual songs to each other. He says, sing to the Lord and make music in your heart to Him, always giving thanks for everything. Always giving thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. The early believers were constantly being filled, continually being filled. We saw it with, with Peter in Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, and then we see it in verse 31. Luke writes, while they, and they are John and Peter and some of, the, uh, some of their friends, while they were still praying, the place where they were gathered was shaken, the Bible says. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit with the Ruach HaKodesh, and they spoke God's message with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke God's message. Well, what's the message they spoke? What's, what's the message they spoke? Somebody scream something out. What do you think gospel. the message they spoke? Gospel. The gospel. Not a bunch of other junk. The gospel. The dead man's walking. Y'all, that's the gospel. And they spoke it with boldness. Well, how did they speak it with boldness? Because the Holy Spirit was indwelling them and empowering them, and they were able to do that. We can't do that on our own. You can't do that on your own. I surely can't do it on my own. I will jack it up in a second. The only way that it can be done effectively and efficiently for the Lord is with Him living inside of us. That's what happened at Pentecost. What an unbelievable thing. And if you don't think that feels good enough, like, like some dude on a stage has got to take a little Jesus out of it to make it feel better so people will come or add a little bit to it so people will come. That's nonsense. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. If that ain't good enough, y'all, I don't know what is. Like, I don't know what is. And then what happened at Pentecost empowers us, enables us to do that call it baptism in the spirit call it the spirit fell on me call it i'm immersed call, call it whatever you want all i know is he's living inside of me and somehow he got in there so they were empowered by the holy spirit don't call the worship team back up any of y'all ever uh, any of y'all scuba dive none of y'all scuba dive thank you in the back nancy brim is a scuba diver. Alright, what's on your back when you jump into the water? A tank is on your back, right? A tank. Those tanks contain oxygen. The purpose of the tanks, the purpose of the the tanks of oxygen that are strapped to the back of somebody when they scuba dive is so they can make it in a foreign world. Right? The oxygen provides air so they can make it in a foreign world because any of y'all is water your natural habitat? No. I don't think so. So water is a foreign world to human beings. It's not a normal place for human beings to live. So in order for a, for a human being to survive in this foreign world of water, the human being needs to be connected to a life source from their world. In order for them to make it in that world, they need air from this world. In other words, another... To, to be able to make it in this foreign world of water, we got to have some air from this world for us to make it. If they get disconnected from the air of the world, they ain't going to last long in that world under the water. Their connectedness is key to their survival because, y'all, they weren't men, a scuba diver, human beings, not men to live in water. So they got to borrow from this world in order to live in that world. The life source in the life of a Christian is the Holy Spirit. God has given the Christian a life source because this world to the Christian, this world is foreign territory. This world is not where you and I were meant to live. This world is a blip in our timeline. We were meant to live in eternity. This world is just a blip in our timeline. But in order for us to live here, in other words, in order for us to live here, in order for us to make it here in this foreign world... We gotta be connected to a life source in our real world. Our real world is a spiritual world. And the spiritual world is real. When the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, it is real and you experience that and you feel that and he becomes the life source so that you can make it in this foreign world for 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years. If you get disconnected from the life source in your real world, you are not gonna make it in this world as a Christ follower, you'll be gagging for air that this world can't give you. You'll be desperately reaching and scratching for everything under the sun that this world wants to give you, but none of it is going to fulfill. None of it's going to fill that hole in your heart. None of it is. Not money, not fame, not power, not sex, not drugs, not rock and roll. N- none of that. None of that is going to fill it. And many people they try every single one of those things to fill that hole. And it's so crystal clear that the Holy Spirit will will immerse himself in you. That he will come to live inside of you. That he will fulfill you like nothing that this world could ever, ever. It would be like a scuba diver with a tank that has carbon monoxide on it. It's not going to fulfill. It's not going to fill their lungs right. He is the oxygen that allows us to live. This life source comes only through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We were talking to the worship team this morning. I kind of got drugged down a rabbit trail. There's a shocker. (laughs) And Sam and I were actually talking. and We were talking about some some interview we heard or saw on the TV. And you have a, a pastor who would not say that Jesus Christ... Was the only way. A pastor. Supposedly of the gospel. I'm telling you, there's one way. Now, and it's free. Free to me and you. Wasn't free to him. But it's free to me and you. There's one way. He is the one way. He is the truth. He is the way. And he is the life. Period. Period. One way. So what do we do here? I'm going to say if you've never grabbed a hold of the gospel, that's the language I used a minute ago, you grab a hold of it today. And it does begin with repentance, which is a turn away from sin and a turn towards God. You turn away from the sin and you turn towards Him and you believe. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that He was raised three days later. That's the whole gospel. That's it grab a hold of that today. He will enter your life, and you will experience that. Number two, grab a hold of that today, and a judicial act in heaven takes place. And you, the Christ follower, you, the one that just experienced the coming of the Holy Spirit, God places you on His side. Because if you don't believe, you're placed on the other side. There's only two sides, right? Believe, Repent, believe. He, he, he acts in heaven, and he places you in his camp. He places you in his church. Number two, and number three, pray fervently to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that that happens because God uses His church. He chose at Pentecost. We're, talk, we're talking about it right now. He chose. Well, we'll be really talking about it in a couple of weeks. He chose to use His church, His people as the vehicle to share the Gospel. He chose to use His church, His people, to tell the world about Him. When you gather together with people, two or three or two or three hundred, that is one of the ways that you can be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. When they are leading us in worship and hands are up, you are being filled back up. The world is going to drain you down. The world drains me down. Our life ebbs and flows like a river, and you get drained because the world is constantly all over you. is constantly attacking you. is constantly spewing lies. Lies at us. Gather together. On Sundays, if you're watching, gather somewhere. Gather in a growth group. Gather with ten, 10 people that have a cup of coffee. Get together with other believers. And you will continually be filled with the Spirit. The writer of Hebrews said that. Consider how to stir up one another in love. That's what it says. Consider how to stir up one another. Y'all, we need to be stirring each other up. This ain't can't be the only time that you ever get a little Jesus on Sunday morning. Call two or three friends and go have fun doing something somewhere. You bow the knee to Christ, it doesn't mean you give up fun. Are you kidding me? What is more fun than the God who created the world living inside of you? That's what happened at Pentecost. So pray to continually be filled. So look, we're done. If you've never done that, consider this. Don't go to sleep tonight. Don't let your head hit the pillow tonight without considering the offer that the Lord has made for 2,000 years. I'd love it if you said yes right now to his offer. If you're watching online, I'd love if you sent us a message and said you gave your life to Christ right now. But here's the deal. Don't go to bed tonight without thinking about it. And again, no answer is a no answer. No answer is a no answer, and you're on the other side. You're on the other team. So if y'all would pray with me. And if today is the day for you, I want you to pray this with me. Lord, today is the day where I I do, as much as I can understand it, I grab a hold of the gospel. Lord, today is the day where I'm going to turn away from my sin. I'm going to turn towards you. And I do believe that you died on that cross 2,000 years ago, and it paid my debt. It paid the penalty for my sin. And I believe just as sure as I'm standing here that you walked out of that grave alive. Lord, save me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that happened to you, go find somebody to talk to today. Come tackle me over here somewhere. And let's just talk about it. Let's just talk about it.